You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, I want to say the anger is complicated. We saw that two Thursdays ago at SPU. We saw Aaron Ibarra, this young man, tragically filled with a demonic spirit of rage, tear our beloved SPU community apart. He said that I deliberately stopped taking my meds so I could feel the, full, feel the fullness of the rage. And if you ever there were an illustration of, of the deadliness of wrath, that was it. On the other hand, how did you respond to what you saw that day in the news. I know for me, I was furious. I'm angry. I'm angry that we've lost Paul Lee. I'm angry that the fabric of our community at SPU has been torn by this. I am angry at how poorly we address the problem of mental illness in our society. And I am sick and angry about what we do with our guns. And you know what? I don't think that anger is a deadly sin. I don't think it's a sin at all. You see, so anger is complicated. It can tear our lives apart. And on the other hand, it's an essential part of being a healthy member of society. How do we distinguish what I would call deadly anger from lively anger? Well, our text is going to help us. We've got a case study this morning in uh, the book of Judges. Samson, would you pull out your Bible or grab the black book in the rack in front of you and open to Judges chapter 15? You're going to find that in the Pew Bible on page 203. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. Judges chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. That first paragraph. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. After a while, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife bringing along a kid. He said, I want to go into my wife's room. But her father would not allow him to go in. Her father said, I was sure that you had rejected her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister prettier than she? Why not take her instead? Samson said to them, This time, when I do mischief to the Philistines, I will be without blame. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took some torches. And he turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Then the Philistines asked, Who has done this? And they said, Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken Samson's wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father. Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will not stop until I have taken revenge on you. He struck them down hip and thigh with great slaughter. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. It's a lovely story, great story for Father's Day. You'll thank me later. 
<laughs> Kids drawing pictures of Samson on that card and giving it to your dad, you know. <laughs> That's why we say no gifts are necessary, thank you. Samson, an anti-hero. Samson, the story of a man whose name means son. This is a man who's got a whole lot of heat in his life, but not very much light. It's a story of anger. Now, what I want to do with you is I want to ask the first question, what is anger, and do a definition. And then I want to talk about what the dynamics of anger are. How does it work in our lives? What's going on? And then the third thing we'll spend time on is the disruption. How does our Savior disrupt the dynamics of anger? Let's begin with a definition. And here's mine. Anger is a passionate objection. I want you to think about that because, you know, try defining anger. It's really hard. I know when I see it. I say anger is a passionate objection. Now, I just made that up myself, but I know it's gaining popularity very quickly because I hear a lot of people using the initials as they talk about their anger. Passionate objection. Um, and there are, of course, two parts to that. There's the P part and the O part. And uh, the O is the objection. This is the heart of anger, and it begins with a, a, an objection or a protest in which we say, that's not right. Right? When you're angry, isn't that the first thing? That's not right. And this is interesting. Just like lust is the shadow of love, anger is the shadow of justice. Justice. Now, we see this protest in Samson when you're just catching part of the story, but essentially his wedding hadn't gone well. He, he, he hacked off a bunch of the guys. He left. Um, he had married this Philistine woman in all of his wedding party. They were all Philistines. He left, and uh, he comes back now to this town, Timna, and his father-in-law standing at the door, and all Samson wants to do is go be with his wife, and the father-in-law says, no, you know, actually, you're not going to see her because she's not your wife anymore. We thought when you left, you were divorcing her, and I've given her to one of the other groomsmen in your party. Are you okay with that? Got a cute sister. How do you feel about that? And, and Samson's going, that's not right. And we'd be inclined to agree with him, right? So there's this objection. That's, that's part of anger. But the second part is the passion. And if the objection is the heart, the passion is the heat. You know, anger is not just an objection. It's, it, it's, it comes with a, a power to it. And it's described as heat. And actually, the writer of Judges has used heat as a motif for Samson. Everything burns. So there are all kinds of, there's all kind of fire in this story. And it's because of the, of the heat of anger that's being portrayed for us. Now, anger is a passionate objection. And uh, that's what it is, whether it's good or bad, deadly or lively. That's what it is when uh, you face big things, like you read in the news and you see human trafficking. Or it's what it's like when you're just getting the runaround from the insurance guy on the phone and they keep transferring your call. You know, you're saying, that's not right. And you're beginning to heat up. But that's, that's anger. Now, I want you to put this story in the context of the book of Judges. Let's step back for just a minute because Samson is a story within a story. The book of Judges is uh, written by a sacred historian who tells a story between Joshua's death, 
when Israel comes into the promised land and the beginning of the monarchy in Israel. Uh, AD 1400 to AD 1000, plus or minus 400 years, where Israel is ruled by uh, judges. That's not, that term isn't used in the text itself. We call them judges. We could also call them warlords because what the sacred historian is trying to show you is most scholars agree that Israel really needs a king. You see these warlords getting worse and worse until we get to the last, the 14th of all the judges, Samson, and Israel has fallen into anarchy. These tribes are doing whatever is right in their own eyes. That's the key phrase for judges. Everyone's doing what's right in, in their own eyes. So justice has just gone out the window. And everybody is saying, that doesn't look right to me, and acting out of that. And in Samson's case, it takes him to a very angry, very destructive deadly place. But anger is not always deadly. In fact, uh, in, in, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that I want to uh, reflect on this morning, and it's Ephesians 4.26. Maybe you'll have it memorized by the end of this message. And I want to read it in parts. The first part is, is simply this, be angry. That's a command, friends. Be angry. The Bible tells you to be angry. Anger is an important part of your human nature. Be angry. If you don't get angry, if you don't ever say, that's not right, then you are just got a plastic smile. You're like the, the Lego character, for those of you who had to see that movie, just walking around saying, everything is awesome, everything is awesome, singing the song, while in the meantime, you're complicit with a totalitarian state. Don't go see the movie. Save yourselves. <laughs> there is no justice. Because I'm just saying, I'm just like overlooking it. Everything's beautiful. Well, wait a minute. Ang you're, you're called by Jesus Christ to be angry at times. And here's the thing. Anger's not always wrong, but it always needs attention. Anger always needs attention. You always have to pay attention to it. Anger is like uh, a, a warning light on your dashboard. Now, when I was in college, I went home one summer... Uh, and I started dating a lovely young woman, and uh, she was house-sitting one week for her boss. And her boss had a beautiful white convertible VW bug. And I'm thinking beach day. So I invite her, and I invite her to share her boss's car with me. And uh, we drive over to Half Moon Bay, and if you've been there, it's Highway 92, coming back, you're going back east away. You're driving up a hill, and uh, you know the sun's kind of setting, this romantic glow in the background. I look at the dashboard, and I see something sort of glowing there, and I think, is that the warning light, or is that just sort of the aura of this date we've been having? I don't know. I'll check it out later. Well, there wouldn't be much more later in that day, because before I get to the top of that hill, smoke is billowing out of the, the engine, and it's frozen. And you know what I, did? I found out? The next day, I had destroyed the engine of my... Now, ex-girlfriend's boss's VW bug. I want to tell you, that's what anger is in your life. It's a check engine light, all right? When that check engine, when you feel that heat inside of you, you know there's something inside of you that's saying, that's not right, and you need to figure it out. You need to pay attention to what's not right. Don't look the other way because there's something that's prettier. Don't try to unplug the wiring. The light is not the problem, okay? It's an indicator that the problem is somewhere else. You're going to cook what's under the hood if you ignore this one. Anger is good, can be good. Pay attention to it. All right, so the question isn't 
Do you get angry? The question is, what's your anger like? And here I want to move into the dynamics of anger. The character of your anger is really what we're, we're, we're thinking about here this morning. What's your anger like? And here's the dynamics in a sentence. Anger is a secondary emotion. Remember that. Anger is a, it's always a secondary emotion. There, which is to say, there's always a fuel underneath the fire. Anger is the primary emotion, but underneath it, there's another emotion. Anger is, I'm sorry, anger is a secondary emotion, but underneath it, there's a primary emotion. There's some kind of fuel that comes before the anger. And here's where you want to look at what is that primary emotion. And usually it's hurt. Usually it's hurt. You have been hurt. Whether you realize it or not, you have been hurt. And that's where the anger, that's what the anger is burning, your, your pain. So we see that in the story. That's the story of Samson is the story of hurt. By the way, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. It's a fascinating and troubling story. I hope in your small group you'll engage it. But just to, just to kind of give you a flyover, the kind of hurt that's at work in Samson's life. We tend to focus on the violence that Samson perpetuates. But it's really the hurt that's driving this story. At his own wedding, he is shamed. Uh, he's divorced. That hurts. Uh, his wife is burnt with her father in her house. I mean, this is tragic stuff. That hurts. And then he will be bound by his own people. And he will be handed over to the Philistines uh, to be killed. That hurts. And then you remember the story about Delilah. Remember, she uh, cuts his hair and he loses his power. She betrays him. She's not a wife. She's a consort. But that hurts. And then ultimately, his eyes will be gouged out by the Philistines. A lot of hurt. That's all you need to get in Samson's life. A lot of hurt, like in ours as well. And so, the, and so anger becomes deadly when the primary emotion is hurt. This is what the sacred historian is pointing out to you in verse 10 and 11. Just look quickly at the end of verse 10. Here's what the Philistines say when they come for Samson. We've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. It's like a reverse golden rule. Hey, we've been hurt. Now it's his turn. Right? And here's what's interesting. Samson has absorbed the culture. Like Ken was talking about as a theme in Judges, he reflects back the ethic of the Philistines. In verse, in verse 11, at the end of that verse, look at the very end. Here's what Samson says, as they did to me, so I have done to, to them. This is the logic. This is the dynamic of anger. Hurt for hurt. Hey man, I've been hurt and I'll be damned if I'm the only one who's going to be. Right? And just start hurting other people. And that's what's happening. And it all culminates in revenge. His last prayer, as he's standing there between the two pillars of the Temple of Dagon, he's going to push his prayer. He is God. He says, with this one act of revenge, that's his prayer, may I pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And he dies, and they all die. He's consumed by his anger. All goes up in smoke. That's the dynamic of deadly anger. But look, back to our verse, Ephesians 4, 26. Yes, it says be angry, and that can be good, but do not sin, because that won't be good. Do not hurt. There is another possibility, the Apostle Paul is saying. You can be angry, and you can do it without sinning. How? You've got to have a different fuel under the fire. 
You got to have a different primary emotion under the secondary emotion of anger. And what would that be? Not hurt, but love. Love is the primary emotion that will allow you to be angry without sinning, without hurting, without returning hurt for hurt. Same dynamic, but a different outcome. Place you see this most clearly? It's in God. I know people today don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but it's in the Bible. God gets angry. And what I want you to see is that God's anger it's the same dynamic as our anger, but it's always a different primary emotion. Love. God's anger feeds on his love. He's only angry because something or someone he loves is threatened. And God says, that's not right. Do you see that? I love this creation. I created it to bless it, for it to be a blessing. And when something tears the fabric of goodness in the world or goodness in your life with disease or, or divorce or um, estrangement or abuse or oppression, God says, that's not what I want for you and I love you. I'm angry when I see that happening to you, when I see you getting hurt. God is healthy because love is the primary emotion beneath all anger, all of his anger. I came across a quote that kind of stopped me short recently. A guy named Alan Torrance, a theologian at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. He says this, God forgives those with whom he's angry. And it's important to remember that. God forgives those with whom he's angry. But listen to this. Here's what Alan Torrance said. This stopped me short. He says, so I can rejoice in the fact that God is angry with me. I can rejoice in the fact that God is angry with me because God is only angry with me because of the extent of his love for me and for those against whom I sin. So when we're talking about the wrath of God, we are talking about the good news. That's Alan Torrance. And I, I think that's right. And I think we can see that in Jesus Christ when he gets the cords and he, and he casts out the money changers. You've heard of that story. Jesus is angry. He's stinking angry. But it's not because he has a, an ethical objection to money changing or that business, I don't think. I think it's, he has an objection to doing it there. It's because he loves the money changers. And he wants the money changers to know that God has a place of intimacy in their lives. And at that day, it's the temple. You bring your business into that place. The business is fine, but it's displacing that place of intimacy that God has created for you. His place of love in your life. And man, that makes God angry. See, So Jesus, so it tells us human beings can act in love, in anger as well. And I want to give you the most compelling example of that in our town this week. And it's John Meese. And I hope you've read about the hero that John Meese has been. This SPU student who came face to face with the fury of deadly wrath. When he came face to face with uh, this murderer, his reaction was anger, but his passion was grounded not in hurt, but in love. That's what's so interesting. I don't know if you read his statement. John Meese says, nonetheless, he said, yes, there was hurt in his statement. Then he says, nonetheless, I would encourage that hate be met with love. Hate be met with love. 
When I came face to face with the attacker, God gave me the eyes to see that he was not a faceless monster, but a very sad and troubled young man. While I cannot at this time find it within me to forgive his crime, I truly desire that he will find the grace of God and the forgiveness of our community. You see that? That's what made him a hero. It was love that compelled him into action. It was because out of love for this man and this community, John Me said, I will risk my life to stop him, to save his life and to save the lives of others. And that's what it did. So <clears throat> that's the dynamic of lively anger, when love is the primary emotion under our anger. Now, just very quickly, two implications of this. If we don't understand the primary emotion in our anger, two things are likely to happen. First, we're likely to suppress lively anger. If you're like me and you don't make a distinction typically uh, between what the primary emotion might be, then you just don't like anger. You feel like you lose control and you don't like it, and so you tend to suppress all anger. Deadly anger and lively anger. And so you become uh, apathetic. That's what apathy means, without passion. And you read the news and you see injustices like human trafficking and you go, I know that's bad, but why can't I feel that that's bad? Why aren't I enraged by that? Well, it's because you're not comfortable with your own anger. You don't know how to recognize good anger, distinguish it from bad anger. Okay. Another implication is if we don't understand the primary emotion in our lives, we're going to keep hurting people. You will keep hurting people if it's hurt that lies beneath your anger. You will. That's why Proverbs 19, 19 says this. Listen to this. You have to get your mind around it. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you, you will only have to do it again. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty because if you deliver him, you'll only have to do it again. What's he saying? He's saying you can deliver someone, you can take someone who's angry out of an angry context, but get ready to do it again. Because you've only addressed the secondary emotion, not the primary emotion. It's going to happen again and again. And that's why you and I can think of people in our minds that we wouldn't say, oh, they were, they were angried. We would say, they just are angry. They're just an angry person. You know, that's what happens when you don't address the hurt. Okay, let's move on. And with the next final question is, what can we do about our hurt? It's real. What do we do about it? <clears throat> My answer is Nothing. You can't do anything about your hurt, but God can. God can disrupt it. God has disrupted it in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he came in, in human form. So let's look at this disruption. I would say that Jesus brings healing to hurt. And my point this morning for you to take home is bring your hurt to Jesus. Because he brings healing to hurt, we can bring our hurt to Jesus. If we come to Jesus, we can put our hurt in his hands and he will move our primary experience from hurt to love. Jesus can do that. There's a story within a story here in Samson, as I said to you earlier. And the pattern of Samson's life points us to another king. Remember, this is what the writer of Judges is looking for, a king. Israel needs a king. And he has so told the story of Samson that it can't help but point a person who lives today towards Jesus. If I asked you, for example, <clears throat> think of a man who might have been born uh, and raised up so that he would be a deliverer, whose birth was announced by an angel, 
whose mother had a miraculous conception, who was born under military occupation, who was rejected by his own people, bound and handed over to be killed by those occupiers, who offered a final prayer in the moment of his death and who died with his enemies. If you could think of a person whose death was not the end, but a beginning, a new beginning of a deliverance that would only be fulfilled later on, who comes to your mind? Jesus. And Jesus is nothing like Samson. He's the opposite of Samson. But the pattern of both of their lives is remarkably similar. Those details are all true of Samson and they're true of Jesus. That Jesus is the king that they need. And that's the point. He's the king they need. They cannot deliver themselves. Anarchy will never go anyplace profitable for them. There is so little love in that day and there is so much hurt. And it's true today as well. So much hurt. And Jesus addresses our hurt. God as king and Jesus Christ has come to address your hurt today. This is the theme of the Bible. In Exodus 15, we read, I am the Lord who heals you. Isaiah 42 looks forward to Jesus, where we read, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. And Jesus himself in Mark 2 will say, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. And one of his followers, Peter, would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, by his wounds, by Jesus' wounds, you have been healed. He's coming to heal. Of course, our deepest wound is our alienation from God. That's why the story of Jesus' great king culminates not in a military victory, but in his work on the cross. The cross is where God, the creator, looks at creation and says, that's not right, pronounces his judgment on all evil. The cross is also the white-hot expression of God's love coming to rescue and redeem. This... God is present to Samson all the way through his story, and that's what Samson can't seem to get. I know when you read it in your small group, you're going to notice that Samson is filled by the Holy Spirit, and he does horrible things. I want to remind you that there's a difference between the gifts of God and what we do with those gifts. And I believe that God is present to Samson at every moment to prepare him to move from hurt to love in his anger, and Samson doesn't do it. He acts out of his hurt, and the result is hurt. That same Holy Spirit, as he is present to Samson as a sinner, is present to you and me right now in Jesus Christ, inviting us to receive the fullness of his gift and to bring ourselves and all of our pain into his healing. So let me ask you, what is smoldering in your life? Friends, we are all angry. All of us are angry about something. What's smoldering in your life? Where have you been burned? What inside of you is dangerously hot and you don't know how to touch it? We're angry at our health. We're angry at our marriages. They didn't work out the way we'd hoped they would or we never got married. We're angry at our jobs or we don't have a job. We're angry that we lost that child. We're angry that we never had a child. We're angry that we were abused when we were children. We're angry that we've been shut out by a family member. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I believe God is saying to us, talk to me about the hurt. Talk to me. I see the anger. Talk to me about the hurt. And that's why Ephesians 4.26 ends with this. 
It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do something about it. You've been told that time heals all wounds. And I want to tell you, I do not believe that anymore. I've seen too many people who for years have been angry, carrying around a hurt that they couldn't address and that time wouldn't address. For decades, for generations, when you look at international conflicts, time doesn't heal all wounds, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You've got to do something with it, and do it now before the sun goes down. Do it now in the presence of the Son, Jesus Christ. Let his love for you burn in such a way that it excises the pain of your past. Well, he, do, he won't change your past. He can't change what can't be changed. He won't remove the memories. But what he can do is redeem the hurt. He can give your life a new footing so that your primary experience is no longer that hurt. It's his love. It's your belovedness. And I want to tell you, the place where I experience God's deepest love for me is in that place of hurt, in those places of hurt. Jesus is the true son. He's the true sunshine. He's the one who ultimately brings justice to this creation. And he's the one who will take your hurt and exchange it for love and allow you to participate meaningfully, to work for justice in this world. I mean, whether that means being involved with dads in Seattle or going to Nicaragua or just, or just representing the shalom of God in your roommate's life. Now, if you are freed by Jesus, you have the capacity to do what is right, not in your eyes, but in his eyes, to put him at the center, not yourself. That's why Zechariah, and I close with this quote, says, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high, the sunrise from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we have no right to call you dad. We have run into the distant country. We have squandered the abundance of the wealth that you have given us. And yet, through our faith in Jesus Christ and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you have bound us up with the Son of God so that now we stand fully forgiven and set free in the presence of of a loving father who sees no blemish, who offers no condemnation, and who in fact gives everything that we might be healed. We pray that you'll help us to receive that healing before the sun goes down, before this day comes to an end. We pray that for ourselves, and we pray that for the people around us who wouldn't even dare pray that prayer. But we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.